Are you looking for the best in-depth training for your cyber defense team? Look no further than SANS Blue Team courses. Whether you focus on network or host data, Windows, Linux, or even specialize in open source intelligence, SIEM, SOC, or defensive architecture, the SANS Blue Team curriculum has the course for you. From longtime classics like SEC 503, Network Intrusion Detection, to the newer SEC 530, Defensible Security Architecture and Engineering, and SEC 487, Open Source Intelligence Gathering, no matter what your specialty, we've got you covered. With an extensive archive of free webcasts on the SANS site and free online demos available for most courses, you can easily check out the SANS Blue Team catalog and see which course is the best fit for you and your team. Check out the constantly growing list of available courses at sansurl.com slash blueteamops. This is the Blueprint Podcast, bringing you the latest in cyber defense and security operations from top Blue Team leaders. Blueprint is brought to you by the SANS Institute and is hosted by SANS Certified Instructor, John Hubbard. And now, here's your host, John Hubbard. Passwords. Wouldn't it be great if we could just get rid of them or at least start to use them less? On this week's episode of the podcast, we have Libby Brown and Mark Marozinski from Microsoft explaining methods available right now to nearly every organization that let you not only use passwords less, but also better secure your organization's Active Directory environment. You won't want to miss this one, so settle in and get ready for another eye-opening and entertaining interview with Mark and Libby this week on the Blueprint Podcast. Welcome to the podcast, Dizu. To get started, can we get a little bit of background from each of you? I guess, Mark, we can start with you. What kind of work do you do over at Microsoft and what brought you here? Sure. So I'm a program manager in the Azure AD team, and I work on a team called the Customer Experience Team. So we work with customers on their deployments of Azure AD. We take the learnings and feedbacks from those deployments, and we work it back into the product. Fantastic. And Libby? I'm also a program manager with Microsoft Identity. I'm on our authentication team and specifically around modern authentication. So working with how a user logs into our system and what credentials they can use and what sort of experiences they have with those credentials. All right. Fantastic. Why well, I was clearly excited to have you guys on the podcast today. I've known Mark for maybe a year or so. I've seen him at a few of the SAN summits around and always talking about really interesting things when it comes to locking down Microsoft infrastructure and otherwise. And so this is obviously a topic that's near and dear to nearly every organization on earth because Windows is literally everywhere, right? So when it comes to the topics of helping organizations be more secure, where is the first thing you start with when you talk to a new company about their position on what they're doing now and the future of where authentication can go? Do I go, Libby? I'll let you start because you're a customer facing. Sure. So I, I usually you try to understand kind of like where they're at and where we want them to go. And it's kind of with Libby's area, which is the modern authentication, because we can start to add in all kinds of other checks into things. We can do things like require multi-factor authentication. We can do checks on the device to make sure that a certificate is there or that it's even in compliance with something like Intune and things like that. So we can start to really level up our security of the device. If we don't have that, we're pretty much just relying on username and password as our only protection for access to applications and resources. And what's wrong with passwords? (laughs) Well, the three (laughs) most common attacks we see at Microsoft are password spray, phishing, and breach replay. So password spray is where Somebody, your password policies that have probably been around since the 1990s put people into very predictable patterns 
for what they're going to use for their passwords. So if you make people change their password every 30 days, probably have the password will be the month with the first letter capital, followed by the year, followed by the special character, which is almost always an exclamation point. And if you do it maybe every quarter, the seasons is a really good example of doing that. And we know that at least 1% of your users are going to have that password. So the attacker will try that password against all the users in your directory, and they will be successful on at least 1% of those users. And then they dump the gal and continue to do what else they're going to do in your environment and start to pivot around. The other thing we see is phishing, which is not news to anyone probably listening to this podcast. And then the other one is breach replay, where people reuse their credentials on different sites. Something happens to one of those sites, they get compromised, and they just try those credentials against any other resources they have. Libby, what were you going to say there on the password spray? I was going to say, we know that over 81% of all InfoSec attacks are caused by password breaches of some form or another. I think that's a number from 2017. So you have to imagine it's getting even worse today. We see the number of attacks going up and the success of those attacks against legacy authentication and against passwords being more successful. Yeah, that's an enormous number. I mean, that's not, I guess, surprising to me, but I hadn't heard that expressed before. I'm glad you pointed out the, the breach replay thing. That's one of the really biggest things that every time I teach a course, I always bring that up because a lot of people don't really think about that. I always try to put myself in the mind of an attacker and say, all right, class, I don't know anything about you. I don't know anything about your employees. How am I going to walk in the front door of your organization? And, you know, people kind of sit and they think about it. And I think, you know, people haven't really thought about this because if you've done pen testing, one of the very obvious answers is go download Preach and see who works for that company. Try them all. Right. And it works. Mm-hmm. Right. I've done pen tests and I'm sure that you see on your end plenty of examples of that and the impact that can cause. So clearly passwords are something that we are going to probably have for a while. We're going to get to that in a second, but it's something we need to do something about. Right. And so having purely a password login on an external portal is something I say absolutely cannot happen, right? You have to have a password plus some multi-factor auth or something like that because attackers, pen testers are going to try those found passwords. And so when it comes to taking first steps to locking things down, where do you go from there as an organization that may be in a position like that? Please enable MFA. (laughs) Um, Yeah. Go out today and enable it for your admins. Start to think about how you enable it for your users. You know, what makes sense for them? How are they going to know how to add these credentials into their daily use? But that's the single most effective way to prevent attacks against a password alone. So why is it that you see when you go out and talk to customers that they don't have MFA on? Is it they don't know about it? Is it there's something that gets in their way? What are the problems that they're experiencing with it? Well, it's a couple of things. I think one, I think most people know that they need to do it. And like some people say, well, the SMS MFA isn't great because someone could port your phone number. And there's, you know, there are these different types of attacks on MFA and they're right. But I think it's like 99% of all the types of password attacks we see are stopped by just using MFA. So that's like, Libby's 100% correct. If you just take nothing away from this podcast, please go enable MFA, especially for your admin accounts, but your end users as well. So most customers know that they should do MFA for their end users and they just, spend a lot of time either trying to debate about, well, what are they going to do in this scenario where like someone just got a new phone and like they're getting on a plane and then like they didn't register and now they can't access their mail. Like you get into these really weird edge cases scenarios. And by the time they work through all those different edge cases, there's usually been a breach. And then on Monday morning, everybody's getting MFA, no exceptions. So lots of times there has to be some sort of pain to generate people to go register for MFA. So you should just go, you can do it now, or you can do it after the compromise, but you're going to end up doing it. 
But one of the issues with MFA is it sometimes does not provide the best end user experience in terms of like having to you have, to have your phone on you or something like that to actually authenticate. Right. So there's actually a fair amount of uh, pushback from an end user that this is hard. It adds another step. You know, we're even seeing from some of the people who, you know, in a C-suite, you would expect to want to put security ahead, but, oh, well, it's really inconvenient for me, so I'm not going to enforce my company to do it. You know, I hope that the listeners of your podcast know better than that and they understand, look, it's not a question of if, but when you are breached with the password alone. But I used to work on the Microsoft Authenticator app, which is Microsoft's MFA app. And you can use it with any account, whether it's third party or with a Microsoft account. We ran an experiment on our consumer side that said, hey, we're going to try and upsell use for MFA and use of the Microsoft Authenticator app. So we ran an experiment that said, you know what, we're going to interrupt you during your sign-in and show you a message about getting the auth app and see how the, what the uptake rates are. We ran a message that said, hey, be more secure with Microsoft Authenticator. And then we compared that against a make it easier to log in with Microsoft Authenticator. The make it easier to log in with Microsoft Authenticator had a four time greater uptick than be more secure. It's just one of those things that users security for an end user is not something they fundamentally care about. So, you know, we're trying our best to make it easier for end users who don't like that friction to go ahead and log in securely. So how do you suggest we communicate this? issue, especially to, you know, the C-suite and those who really definitely should feel like they have skin in the game on this one, but maybe don't want to comply. Do you have any tricks to say, like, you know, how do you get people to buy into this when they haven't had that pain yet? We'll be back after a quick break. If you're enjoying this episode, then you're undoubtedly interested in building the strongest security operations team that you can. For those who want to go even deeper, did you know that SANS has not one, but two courses that cover security operations centers as well? For the leaders, managers, and directors out there, my co-author Mark Orlando and I offer 551, Building and Leading Security Operations Centers. This course covers building your team, your physical and virtual workspace, getting the right data into your tools, and then focusing on security priorities through everyday execution of important security tasks and building the best SOC team possible. For the technical practitioners out there, my course SEC 450, Blue Team Fundamentals, Security Operations and Analysis, is designed to cover everything you need to jump in being the best SOC analyst that you can be. We cover important data types, SOC tools, security logs, malware, analysis technique, automation, and much, much more. In addition, if you want to prove you can deliver the best on any security team, both courses have an accompanying certification available from GIAC. That's the GSOM for 551 and the GSOC for 450. Check out both courses and free demos available on the SANS website. You can get registered today for an in-person course at one of our many events, or go to On Demand and take either class anywhere at your own pace. Thanks for listening. Yeah, I mean, it's, I mean I'm very empathetic to the admins I work with that are trying to push this out because sometimes... You know, they'll say like, well, they can't make people do anything with their phone. Otherwise, they have to pay for the phone bill or they have to... It's some sort of in the union contract or, you know, different parts of the world, have all kinds of rules around that stuff. So I remember one of my customers, they said that if they want me to use a phone for work, then, you know, the new iPhone, like whatever the modern one was, the, you know, 512 gig would, you know, be suffice for the union employees so they could actually, <laughs> you know, do MFA for work. And I mean, all kinds of crazy stuff like that. And there's other ways, there's like hardware tokens and stuff, and those are expensive and you know, there's management overhead of those. So... One of the ways that's been successful is, well, one is just like straight policy. Like, this is not a technical problem. This is a policy problem. And we tell them like, look, in order to access corporate resources off the corporate network or from wherever, these are the requirements you have to meet. If you don't want to actually use your phone to do that, 
that's fine. You can use OWA on your mobile browser to check your mail. You can do that. You're free to do that. Or you can use your computer. Like we provide you a work computer. You can do that. The other thing I've seen people do is they treat it as improving your security in like your life. So it's not just like a work thing. They want to add MFA to your bank accounts. You should add MFA to your personal email. And you can use the Authenticator app for both work and your personal stuff. And they do things like that to try to educate that. And people like that. And they go home and they tell their family members, Hey, we really need to turn on MFA for your account. They can kind of you know encourage the rest of their family to do that. So I've seen some customers do that kind of stuff that's making that's much about work, but actually you know trying to improve like your overall arching security and just your life. In terms of the user experience for the MFA thing, I know there's certain applications that are, you know, you have to type in the code, you have to, you know, just swipe and say, yes, that was me that tried to log in. Which one of those do you find the uptake of both of those about the same? Or do people really prefer like the swipe stuff? Or is there, you know, resistance specifically to typing in pins and all of that? When you say swipe, do you mean like a biometric gesture? Yeah, like something that's as frictionless as possible. I'll put it that way. Yeah, because it could be a fingerprint. It could be, you know, Windows Hello, any of those things that goes as opposed to typing a number. I mean, one of the most common. So my area in my work life is to talk about our passwordless credentials. And so that would include Windows Hello for Business, which you just alluded to, Microsoft Authenticator, and as well as the new industry standard called FIDO. All of those have some level of PIN or biometric associated with those passwordless credentials. The number one question I get asked by anyone who is new to this topic is, why is a PIN more secure than a password? You know, it's only four digits long or six digits long, and I can't force you to change it. And that really gets into the fundamental part of why those devices are considered multi-factor off, is that you can't use the PIN without the device. The pin is always tied to the device. So even if someone knows your pin, they still have to steal your phone or your computer or your FIDO credential in order to use it against you. It can't be used in some advanced threat group across the seas against you unless they have that device. And if they have that device, by all means, please tell your help desk that you've lost it and let them shut it down. <laughs> yeah, I admit I had that same moment the first time when I was setting up, you know, Windows with a pin. I'm like, do I want this? <laughs> and I had to yeah. do some Googling. I'm like, oh, okay, I get it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. Oh, well, what if they shoulder surf my pin? Well, they still can't go right behind you and enter that pin on their machine like they could if they shoulder surfed your password. So, you know, it's those levels of concern that, you know, as Mark said, it's just kind of a matter of educating. And once people learn one fact, then they have another stopper and we educate on that next stopper and so on and so forth. I will say we have seen greater uptick on MFA over the past two, three years. And I feel like that flywheel is really starting to crank and churn. And we're seeing higher and higher levels of adoption across consumer and commercial accounts. So that gives me hope that, you know, it's becoming a more familiar experience. I mean, even my 78-year-old father understands that the bank sends him an SMX text number and, you know, a code and he knows how to enter that. And so it's an experience that, you know, we've had passwords for 30 plus years. MFA is relatively new, but it's coming along. Yeah. And that's one of those areas that you know. every time I teach, I try to impress that upon people and say, like, it's not all or nothing, right? Even if you can't push it on all your users, as you kind of said, like, go toward the admins, go toward the people that if they get compromised, you know, it's going to cause a huge issue. I remember, I think it was the first time I saw Mark speak at a summit, he had the actual number for the admin accounts that had MFA enabled. I think it was for Azure AD. I don't know what the current number on that. I believe you reiterated that number, but I was out of the room at the Blue Team Summit. Where are we standing on that now? I think it was, I think in November it was like 8%. 8%. But it was, it, it was up from, 
Two years ago, it was 0.07%, and then it was 1.7%. So we're definitely heading in the right direction. But that <laughs> is still like really bad, right? Like 92% of admins don't have MFA enabled, which is just like insane. Like it's just insane to me. Yeah, that seems, I mean, is the reason that admin might not enable it the same reasons that the whole company might not enable it? Is there some specific reason that admins are staying away from it? I don't know. If I knew that, I would probably be in a better role. But I mean, I think some of it is like previously they said like, oh, my scripts don't work and stuff like that. And and these Mm. scripts do work. Like all the PowerShell stuff that does modern authentication works with MFA and all this stuff like that. And if you're running scripts, unattended scripts with your admin credentials with like the password or the secret in the script, like that's a different problem that we should probably go fix as well, right? Yeah. So outside of the MFA and that sort of discussion, we have the idea of just the passwordless credential and authentication methods, right? What are the various options that Microsoft offers for doing this type of passwordless authentication? So we have three different main credentials that we talk about. And the first and the one that's been out there the longest is Windows Hello for Business. And you know, Microsoft's fabulous at branding. Windows Hello for Business is a slightly different setup than your plain old Windows Hello. Windows Hello for Business requires you to have MFA in order to set up a credential on your device. So it's not just a password stuffing pin on the device that your straight up Windows Hello might have. But what Windows Hello for Business gives you is once you set up this credential and it's a private key stored on the device, if you have a hardware-backed trusted platform module or TPM, it's stored in hardware then you are registering a public key with our authentication service, Azure AD. And when you go and log into your Windows Hello for Business device, you open your PC, it turns on, and you can either enter your PIN that you've set up, or if your hardware is capable, it can do facial recognition or a fingerprint recognition. All you do is you let it do that recognition, logs you in, and you get seamless access to all the apps and services and websites, especially with the new Edge and profiling at Edge. It's fabulous. But seamless access. You never have to enter your password again as long as the apps that you're using also have upgraded their authentication to take advantage of this SSO and modern auth. It's a fabulous experience. Like I am been working from home now and it used to be I have to type my username, password, do MFA every time I open a website. I brought my work laptop home with Windows Hello for Business. I open it up, it smiles at me and I just move about my day and I never think about entering my password again. That's awesome. So completely passwordless logging into your actual employee at Microsoft account. Exactly. Yeah, that sounds like fantastic experience. <laughs> so just so we talk about passwordless, just something I want to make sure like the listeners are really clear of is I know they're probably thinking of like some LDAP app that they have or some older app that has a password, they're never gonna get rid of it. We're not saying that you need to go passwordless on all of your apps tomorrow. We want you to use your password less. So things like Hello for Business will start moving you in the right direction and applications that do modern authentication like Office 365 and any SaaS apps that are in Azure AD and you know your Kerberos-based apps on-prem can all take advantage of when you do Windows Hello for Business as your authentication, you get strong authentication through. You can access all those resources without having to put your password in. And the second part about Hello for Business, I want to make sure everybody gets kind of confused on, I want to make sure we're clear on, is the biometrics and stuff never leaves the device. That's only used to unlock the TPM chip to get that private key. That's it. They never leave the device. Gotcha. We are anti-storing biometrics in the cloud. Not a good idea. (laughs) And we thank you for that. (laughs) What could possibly go wrong? (laughs) Yeah, a little bit hard to revoke those fingerprints, right? Yeah, so I'm glad you pointed out the using passwords less thing, right? Is the idea, if you can do that, that 
that enables then explicitly employees to make a longer, more difficult password that they don't have to change on a regular basis. Is that ultimately where you would go with that? Because you still have a password, right? It's just, it's not being typed and used as often. Yeah. So we have a thing in Azure AD called the ban password list that we prevent all the easily guessable passwords and you can put a custom list in. So we want you to put in things that are specific to your company or industry or the region of the world that you know about. So one of our coworkers, they have a customer, I think in South America and Brazil, and they did a red team engagement where they password sprayed the environment. And they found that like 50% of all the passwords were a local regional soccer team plus the year. So they put all of the soccer teams in the banned password list to prevent people from putting those easily guessable passwords. And that works with your on-prem active directory as well. So if you change your password in AD, the same banned password list can apply. And that's all in our documentation. Gotcha. So it helps you. But, go ahead, Libby. I was going to say, but going back to like using your password less, as in, you know, you don't get prompted as frequently. Does that allow you to, you know, have a little extra friction by requiring longer passwords? I will point out a blog written by Alex Weiner this past summer, summer of 2019, called Your Password Doesn't Matter. It doesn't matter how much more complex your password is. It's still subject to the same attacks that Mark's already talked about. What we are seeing with people using their passwords less is that when they do get prompted for a password, for example, in a phishing scam, they stop and double check themselves. Hey, I don't in fact remember my password because I've never used it. Or that's funny. Office 365 never prompts me for my password. So using your password less than kind of is providing a silent cue to your users that when they get asked for it, maybe that's not where they should be entering it. Ah, that's an interesting... I didn't think about that particular angle of it too. So yeah, I guess that makes sense. If you're never asked for it, then when you are, that becomes the weird thing, right? Yeah. And when we talk about having, you know, setting up your tenant, your environment for your end users to go use their password less by using the passwordless credentials, we also recommend turning on self-service password reset. Because the less you use your password, the more frequently you forget it when you do hit those weird occasions where it is required. Gotcha. So you mentioned Windows Hello for Business and that you have three methods of it. What are the other ones that you would need maybe if, because you had mentioned this works with a whole bunch of applications and all the stuff that you probably have. What are the other options and what do you use those for? For our customers who are using Azure MFA, they might be familiar with the app called the Microsoft Authenticator app. And in fact, we also support this with our consumer accounts as well. But the Microsoft Authenticator app is a place where you can go and set your multi-factor auth to send you a push notification when you log in. And it's also an OTP code generator. So you can get a six or eight digit code to log in if you're offline, for example, and you can't receive push notifications. Within the auth app, we then have a way to enable passwordless phone sign-in, which basically takes the app and moves it from a pure second factor to a two-factor account. Again, when you do that registration of adding your account as a phone sign-in account, we're creating a private key on the device stored in the secure enclave of the app storage and protected by the device's PIN or biometric. So think of Face ID or you know Touch ID on an Apple device. And that public key then gets registered into Azure AD. So same model as with Windows Hello for Business credential on the device registered in the cloud for the public key. And then for any web app that you are thinking about signing into that's with your Azure AD account or your consumer MSA account, your Skype or Outlook, you go to the website, you enter your username, you'll get a push notification to your device. You have to approve that notification, enter your biometric, and then you are authenticated. So again, it's you just have to identify, hey, this is me. And then between the authentication service and the device, the phone, the authentication happens passwordlessly. 
And so that's a great chance where for, you know, you might have a user base that works on a dedicated laptop, but they also then go home at night and want to continue working at home with their Office 365 accounts or whatever. Or for your Mac user base, even Linux has has happened. So it's a second credential where you can then go passwordless in more places than just on a Windows PC. Gotcha. And what about the third method you mentioned? The last one that we talked about is called a FIDO credential or a FIDO security key. And FIDO stands for Fast Identity Online. It's a consortium or alliance of some of the biggest and some of the smallest tech players. So Google is a founding member, Knock Knock Labs, Bank of America, Microsoft, Apple has just joined the FIDO Alliance. And really, uh, the alliance was founded around 2012, I believe, with this idea of solving the fishability of authentication on the web. That was like its primary driver. So a lot of people might be familiar with something called the Google Titan Key and Google FIDO's implementation. That was the original instantiation of a FIDO credential. It's FIDO U2F or Universal Second Factor. That's you enter your username, you enter your password, and then you are prompted for that key or hardware token of some sort to complete the authentication. With FIDO2, we can take passwords out of the picture. And again, it comes back to when you set up your FIDO credential on a hardware token, little key fob, most people think about a YubiKey is a very common flavor that most people might be aware of. You're creating the private credential on that hardware device, registering the public key in the cloud with the relying party, Azure Active Directory in our case. And again, to authenticate, you enter your key. You don't even have to type your password or your username in with FIDO, which is really convenient. The computer talks to the key. You enter your PIN or biometric on that key. It talks to the authenticating service through the WebAuthn protocol, and authentication happens and you're logged into your account. So FIDO is really, it's new. The standards for FIDO 2 weren't finalized until spring of 2019. So Microsoft has brought the protocols onto the latest flavors of Windows. But really, it's a technology that we are still in public preview with with Microsoft. And the industry is still starting to pick up speed and momentum with FIDO2 right now. Where we're starting to see a lot of adoption and interest with FIDO keys is in scenarios where a user might not always be going to one device. They might be going to a shared kiosk in a break room for first-line workers or on a manufacturing floor where you have to enter in information at each point of a manufacturing process. A help desk scenario where you're hot desking every day and you don't know which PC you're going to sit at to do your calls for the day. Those are really the immediate use cases for FIDO2. So you mentioned it was created to eliminate phishing. What is the specific mechanism it uses to, because I've read articles about this and want to make sure that's clear because that's a really interesting point about this standard as well, which I hope helps everyone pick it up. How does FIDO2 make sure that you cannot get phished? Because I know that was what Google had touted had been the benefit there. They said we had no phishing ever since we implemented this. So how's that working? So... And I'm not the expert on that exact unfishability story, but there are two protocols that come into play that help with that. The first one is the client to authenticator protocol, which is known CTAP. And that's really how the hardware device, whether that's your phone or your Windows laptop, talks to the key itself and the communication protocols between those two. Right now in the CTAP protocol, three communication transports are allowed, USB, NFC, and Bluetooth. So you're going to see a lot of USB and NFC keys out there coming on the market. Bluetooth is... Everybody loves Bluetooth, right? It's such a joy to pair. But those are the ways the hardware key talks to the hardware device. 
Then there's the web authentication or web authentication protocol. And that's really about how through a browser or an app, the browser talks to the relying party or the service that holds the public key makes the public key in that pairing. So between CTAP on WebAuthn, what that looks like is you go to your website and the website says, oh, okay, we recognize that you have a FIDO credential. We're going to ask you for that FIDO credential. The WebAuthn protocol then talks to the hardware device you're on, your Windows PC. The Windows PC says, great, we're looking for these FIDO calls. We're going to use the CTAP protocol to talk to the hardware device, the little key fob. And then through that authentication flow between the CTAP and WebAuthn, the key releases the private key goes out to the web service or relying party to complete the authentication and the dance comes through. So nowhere in that flow can an attacker interject themselves to either sniff the private key or, you know, in other ways, tamper with that authentication method. So when you register, the key things here, uh, like I just had this conversation with a customer the other day, so it's fresh in my mind. The private key is generated in the FIDO key, which never leaves the FIDO key. Mm -hmm. And when you register with the relying provider, in this case, Azure AD, the public key is what gets sent up to Azure AD. And then Azure AD, when you're doing the authentication, it's going to take a nonce and sign it with your that public key. And that's what gets sent over the wire. The private key is used and then signs the nonce and sends it back so it knows it came from that private key. So there's nowhere you're giving the credentials up because it's always everything is coming from the private key that's signing the stuff on the FIDO device. Gotcha. And I think also the way I understand it is, so I mean, maybe this is a different way of phrasing it. The responsibility for knowing who your credential is going to is being put upon the hardware or your browser or something else such that the user is not really responsible for seeing, oh, I'm at Microsoft.com or I'm at Google.com. Now your thing is communicating with Gmail or whatever it is you're logging into. And then you hit the button and it says, yep, this user's, your browser that is, or your hardware knows where you are. And if it was someone trying to fish you, then the credentials just wouldn't be released or they wouldn't work. Then there would be no way to get a hold of those. Is that correct? Right. So as part of the registration process, the relying party is part of the pairing of the private public key for that relying party. Mm -hmm. Right. So if your user goes to office366.com <laughs> and they, you know, hit sign in with a security key, you know, even if Office 366 does have a FIDO system set up, when your user goes to unlock their FIDO key with their PIN or biometric, they're never going to find a credential for Office 366 because they registered their credential with Office 365. Well, in our case, it's microsoftonline.com. But yes, the relying party is what prevents that phishing. Gotcha. Yeah, so that's a really neat method of solving one of probably the biggest problems in terms of keeping passwords secret is, you know, locking that to uh, PKI and all sorts of, you know, hardware storage and such. So that's a really interesting method of going about that. And I hope that kind of thing picks up. Yeah. Um, and in fact, Windows Hello for Business, that credential is also a FIDO credential. So you can now use Windows Hello for Business in any place where you could otherwise register a FIDO credential. So for example, I have my GitHub account protected with my Windows Hello for Business account. I go to GitHub, I enter my username, and then it, you know Windows Hello pops up on my computer and it smiles at me and then I'm logged into GitHub. So any web service that takes advantage of FIDO2 can use that as well. Gotcha. Yeah, so that's really cool stuff. I mean, you had mentioned earlier the TPM chips were one of the key pieces of storing these credentials in some cases. Are TPM, Trusted Platform Module, chips now standard in most laptops, especially for the enterprise that you're running into? I know a couple of years back, that was kind of like, the oh, maybe we had them, maybe we didn't. Are those pretty standard now? 
I mean, I haven't heard lately that's a problem. I think any newer machine you buy is going to like semi-recent machines going to have a TPM chip for sure. Yeah. So most organizations should be able to enable this in some method via that means, right? Mm-hmm. I would be less concerned about, I mean, obviously the TPM is important. And if your you know, organization is buying enterprise class hardware, hopefully it has that. But the other concern for, especially around, can you take advantage of Windows Hello for businesses? Does it have a biometric capability. So you would want to think about, you know, the benefit of having a fingerprint reader or a facial recognition camera included with it. And you might not see that on a consumer class laptop. Less common. Any organization that wants to do this is going to definitely need to purchase something that has those biometrics. That would be the takeaway there. I mean, you could always do PIN, right? True, but yes. this is, we kind of buried it, which was like one of your questions is like, how does this improve the user experience from MFA, mm-hmm. right? And logging in with like a face or a fingerprint is, or even PIN is a much better end user experience to authenticate. And you get strong authentication, you know, like MFA, you know, we trust it the same way to all those different resources like Office 365, any SaaS apps and Azure AD, all that stuff. So it's a much better end user experience and you get the benefit of doing strong authentication to those resources. Yeah, it definitely sounds like an awesome solution that hopefully picks up everywhere. Have to ask now, if we put on our black hat, our attacker, you know, suit, right? Have you seen any successful attacks against this sort of thing? And what are attackers going to have to do now if they want to get around this sort of system? I mean, other than maybe steal the device and shoulder surf the pin. Are there other methods that are out there? I do not know of any. That doesn't mean that there isn't somebody working on something. But I think it's significantly raises the bar of the attack, mm-hmm. right? I mean, right now, most people just have username and password, and the password is probably something you could guess if you if you tried hard enough, right? So moving to a Hello for Business Authenticator app or FIDO with you know the, the MFA piece of it, like greatly increases your security. And I think it's an easy trap to get into where, oh, there's this one issue with this, you know, MFA, if there's an evil jinx in between and it's doing a man in the middle and you put your OTP code in, oh, this MFA is defeated. So we shouldn't bother. It's like, I don't subscribe to that thought. Like, even if you got your security 30% better, it is better than 10%. And then 30 builds onto 50, right? It keeps moving that direction. And a thing that people kind of forget is that these types of deployments have like gravity to them as well. So as you start moving your apps into Azure AD and you start doing passwordless authentication, the end user experience is better. That will pull those laggard apps that need to be updated and start moving people that well, we don't want to buy a new machine, so we're just going to keep using passwords. Fine. Use Hello for Business or Fido or Authenticator app where you can, and the better end user experience and the improved security will start to drag the other people forward. It becomes much harder to justify this application that only these small people use that doesn't do passwordless or modern authentication because someone just doesn't want to do it. I had a customer that had, I think it was like 70 apps in ADFS, and they were migrating up to Azure AD to start taking advantage of some of this stuff. And there was like three apps that said, like, we're never going to move. Like, we don't care. We're not moving. And he's like, well, what should we do? I said, leave them. And we moved all the other applications up to Azure AD. And now that group has to justify the server infrastructure, the certificate management, the patching for these couple of applications that everybody else was able to move and start taking advantage of this. What makes your stuff special that you can't do it? And that puts a lot of pressure on those people that don't want to do MFA, don't want to update their hardware, don't want to do that stuff. Like you can drag them forward when you start doing this in places where you can get those victories. Yeah, putting that social pressure on is always one of those extra kind of, yeah, I mean, it's a functional tactic, though, when you can get it to work, you know, gamifying stuff, no one wants to be the last app to move, you know, things like that, right? I will say the one attack vector that I'm familiar with around MFA is with the push notifications. And we're Uh obviously at Microsoft trying to mitigate some of this as well. But people are getting notification fatigue. And some people are just getting trained that something pops up and they hit approve, something pops up, hit approve. 
And in fact, I've actually heard an admin come to me and say, we need to stop this because people in my office, they're sharing an account and everyone logs in and then they send the notification to one guy and the one guy just approves it. You know, that as a security (laughs) professional, that just makes me cringe. But so, you know, there is an element of user education that needs to happen here. And then we also need, as Microsoft and the industry, need to do a better job of making sure that users understand where is this notification coming from? Can they close the loop and understand, oh, I generated that so I can approve it versus I didn't generate it and therefore I should deny it? Yes. Yeah. It's an excellent point. I was going to bring it up earlier and I totally forgot. So thank you so much, Libby. More prompts does not equal better security. And that's a <laughs> false thing that people keep thinking about. And like, well, we need to do MFA more. We need to prompt them more. All that's doing is training people to give up their credentials and just hit accept and they blindly do it. And that's exactly what Libby's talking about. So yes, more prompts do not equal better security. <laughs> and I would even make that more friction. You know, like the less friction that you impose upon a user when they hit it and it's in a context of you know, I understand working for Microsoft that I have a level of responsibility to keep my information secure. But guess what? You know what? If you are prompting me each and every time I go and ask, I'm going to look for shortcuts. And I think that's real for anyone else in the working world as well. So reducing the friction means that when they do encounter a point where they have to authenticate and it takes them, you know, 20 seconds longer, they're willing to do it because they understand it's important at that point. Yeah, that's one of those things that popped up, you know, in the past with UAC and all that sort of thing as well. So, I mean, that's a very good point, right? The more you prompt someone, the more they learn just, I don't know, type it in and let me go, right? Yeah, Um, that's a perfect example because what did everyone do with UAC? They turned it off. (laughs) Turned it off. Yeah, exactly. So if you were in the situation of being on, you know, in the SOC, on the blue team, whatever, and you have people who maybe are clicking things that they shouldn't, is there a place that you can pick this up, record the people, like who is verifying what at what time? What is the data source you need to be able to go back and maybe forensically figure out that this happened? So that would be the Azure, well, most likely your Azure AD sign-in logs, or if you're federated with ADFS or PingFed or something like that, you want to look at your IDPs logs as well for that kind of stuff. We could do a whole other talk on Azure AD logs. You know that. (laughs) Absolutely. All right. Well, anything else that we haven't covered here when it comes to passwordless sign-in or multi-factor or anything that you want to make sure that we get out here before we wrap up? I mean, I will say if you're not familiar with Microsoft's passwordless credential options, start at AKAMS slash go passwordless. It's a great place to jump off both, you know, what are the business cases we should be thinking about, our access to deployment guides, some easy videos on demos and how to set this up in your own tenant. AKAMS go passwordless is where I would point people to start. All right. Fantastic. Yeah, that's good. I think that... People, like I said, people first hear passwords and they think of the mainframe, the LDAP app, and these things that they can never get rid of and they don't even start. You can start doing this today. Like any of your Office 365 or Azure AD applications can start taking advantage of this password list today. So you can start with Windows Hello for Business, which is really good for a one user to one machine, which is probably 70, 80% of a lot of people's like information workers use the same machine. They can start doing Hello for Business today and start using password lists today with those resources. Then you start thinking about the Authenticator app, which is good for the non-Windows machines, the at-home machines. The one customer I use it with is with conference like tables and conference screens. You don't have to put their corporate credentials into the touchscreen keyboard. They can actually use the Authenticator app to do the password authentication to that. And then the FIDO2 part is really good for the one user to many devices. So I don't use the same machine. I can't bring my phone in, things of that nature. Those are really, really good for FIDO keys. 
but you can definitely start on this like today. This isn't some project for 2027. Like you could really start getting this up in pilot and working today, getting the benefit today. Fantastic. Yeah. So range of options out there for everyone. Highly encourage everyone to check that stuff out. AKA.ms slash go password list was the link that was mentioned. Great information here. The one thing I also want to add to that is just applying this to all security concepts, right? Do not get trapped in all or nothing thinking. Don't let perfect be the enemy of the good. And this is one topic where that absolutely applies, right? Some coverage is still way better than zero coverage. And so let's try to make it so the next time we hear Mark talk, we don't have to hear that 92% of us are still not using multi-factor for our admins, right? (laughs) It kills me every single time I hear that number. So double digits next year, right? (laughs) Uh, I hope. I hope. (laughs) Let's break that, right? (laughs) We can do it. (laughs) Yep. Yep. (laughs) We will get there. Hopefully this podcast helps get the word out. (laughs) Still so bad. Yeah. Yeah. 25% would be wonderful. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, with that, where can we find you guys online? Libby, do you have any social media? Uh, I'm mostly on Twitter at True Blue Devil, T-R-U-B-L-U Devil. I went to Duke. Go Duke. (laughs) And Mark? I am at, I'm mostly on Twitter as well, at Mark Morrow. And then we also have an at Azure AD Twitter handle as well that talks about a lot, all this kind of stuff in other parts of Azure AD. All right. Well, with that, I think we can wrap it up. Thank you so much for being on the Bootprint Podcast and sharing this incredibly, incredibly important information with us. Everyone, go turn on your MFA. Go figure out how to make this work and bring us toward the passwordless future. (laughs) Thanks for being on the podcast. Thanks for having us. Thanks. Hey, Blue Teamers. I hope you enjoyed today's episode of Blueprint. If you've got a second and want to help support the podcast, please subscribe and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. It would be really, really meaningful to us. And if you have any ideas or suggestions, I would love to hear them. Your reviews are going to be one of the best ways to help others find this podcast. So anything you could do would be a big help. As always, thank you for listening. You can connect to me on social at SecHub, S-E-C-H-U-B-B on Twitter or on LinkedIn. So until next time, thank you for listening to the Blueprint Podcast.